Welcome to the Fraudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and I'm joined by our CEO, Eva Velasquez. Today, we're going to take part in a year-end tradition that happens in every industry. We've put fresh batteries in a crystal ball, and we've gazed deeply into it. We may even have read a few tea leaves. To come up with what we believe will be four of the most significant issues we can expect to impact identity crimes in 2021. To say that 2020 has been an unusual year is a bit of an understatement, don't you think? We've seen emerging trends accelerate, like working from home. We've seen new cybersecurity risks exposed, like working from home. And we've seen cyber criminals take advantage of poor identity verification and fraud prevention practices as trillions of dollars flowed into the economy thanks to a global pandemic. Some of these trends and other trends are most likely just one-time events, while others will be with us for a while. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Eva, here's the first question to you. What was the one thing that surprised you most in 2020? There is nothing like leading off with a tough question. Now, normally, wouldn't that be an easy question? There, there um, would be yeah. one thing to highlight, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and this, is, this, is, this is not city slickers. I'm not looking for the one thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, what, there had to be something that caught your eye. There, and, and there really was, but it, it's going to sound uh, a little odd because it, it might almost make me sound naive. But truly, what surprised me the most was the scope and the scale of the fraud. Now, that is not to say that as these things throughout the year started to unfold that I wasn't looking at this going, whew, this is going to be bad. This is going to be like nothing we've seen before, at least nothing I've seen before in my 30 plus years in the in the fraud space. And so I was expecting it to be, you know, unprecedented and have this huge scope and that there would be things that we didn't think of. But it was so much worse than even I thought. And I felt like I was being a bit of a pessimist in how bad it was. It was starting to look. And even I could not comprehend um, just how much this was going to cost us as a country, uh, how impactful it was going to be to each individual person in the country. And I mean, look at the unemployment identity theft. This is just one type, one subtype of one type of identity theft. And as of just a couple months ago, we're looking at $26 billion with a B, $26 billion in, in projected losses that we know of for this one subtype of one type of identity theft. Oh my gosh, it's so much worse than I even I imagined it could be. Now, now, uh, you, you said that you, you anticipated this. Why, why did you anticipate it? Why did you think things would be bad? Well, anytime we have a disaster, I mean, I've been through this cycle. Uh, you have wildfires, you're going to have things like the charity fraud, and, you, and you're going to have uh, disaster fraud popping up. Anytime you have a, a health crisis in a specific area or, or you know, that's very, um, you know, confined to one space, you have the those 
fraudsters start to pop up. Anytime you have money that is put into the economy through government programs, or you have confusing government programs, like the ACA was a great example, setting up those exchanges and trying to figure out how that process was going to work. All of those things will, you know, compel the fraudsters and the scammers to just come out of the woodwork. Well, we had all of them at once. Mm -hmm. And on a scale that heretofore we have not seen, you know, disasters are usually localized to a region. So you have a flood, it's, it's in a specific area. You have uh, tornadoes or earthquakes, you have the wildfires. This is global. This is every single person. And so that's why I was anticipating that this would be, you know, significant and huge. <sighs> Again, I just didn't realize how big. Yeah. It it really has the scale is is staggering, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So I think the thing that that actually surprised me the most was that it actually it wasn't what happened; it's what didn't happen. Because one of the things, to your point about we we see patterns. One of the patterns we didn't see this time was as everybody shifted to work from home, we thought we would see this massive increase in cyber attacks and data breaches related to those. And that didn't happen. Now, we did see an increase in cyber attacks, but it was kind of late coming on, and it didn't translate into a massive number of data breaches. Um, you, you'll see some statistics out there that will say that basically there's been about a 24 25% rise in the number of successful cyber attacks, um, and that can be tied back to people working from home. But it didn't turn out to be nearly as bad uh, as everybody thought. And that's a very, very much, that's a good thing that it wasn't as bad. Uh, so let's, let's sort of, you know, shift our point of view from the rear view mirror to now let's look ahead. So what's your first prediction for 2021? Well, unfortunately it, it has to do with economics again. Um, and, you know, we are looking at the need for services uh, that the ITRC and others in this space provide just just increasing at an exponential rate. Um, we're seeing revictimization rates increasing. Um, our own research shows that uh, it's twenty eight percent in in our aftermath study this year versus twenty one percent in twenty eighteen. So all of these things are growing, and that is happening at the same time when funding is decreasing significantly. Um, and that's really across the board. It's from all different channels. So I know that there's been a very big focus on um, meeting essential needs, thing, you know, food, housing, and medical care. And I can certainly understand why. And I get that those are essential needs and, they're, and they are the first thing that we're going to be focusing on. But unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of short-sightedness there because if we aren't focusing on the other places where we are just bleeding money out of our economy and where individuals are losing money and providing them with the resources to stop that so that we can actually keep some of our dollars, you know, in our country's pocket to use a, you know, kind of a col colloquial term and in our own pockets, then 
we're again, we're being really short sighted here, and the scammers know it. When I think about that 26 billion, again, that is such a staggering number. One subtype of one type of identity theft, 26 billion in losses that we know of. Can you imagine the impact that those dollars would have if we could have kept them in the economy? And as we see the shrinking of resources coming to nonprofits, particularly victim services nonprofits, I just don't know how we're going to continue to recover. How are individuals going to recover and and how are we as a nation going to keep the money, you know, in our own economy? And this is something that we I, I think is going to continue well past 2020. It's going to continue into 2021. And I think that's really bad news for victims and consumers, don't you? Well, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, you, you, you've mentioned unemployment now a couple of times. I mean, I think for just to, to give folks some context, you know, we get questions about unemployment benefit frauds every year. I mean, it's not, it's not like it doesn't ever happen outside of years like what we're dealing with now. But we're talking about, you know, in a nation of 330 million people, we're talking about we get you know less than 20 phone calls or emails a year about unemployment fraud it there's it, it just doesn't interest criminals very often yeah it's because, not that lucrative yeah, it, there's not that there's not that much money involved right so it 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 is what has changed this year is there's money and it just proves the point the bad guys go where the money is yep absolutely well, and, and in addition to that, what also changed, as you know, was the process, the application process. Yes. Yeah. So. It, it, and they didn't, they didn't, this, the states were not prepared for the massive number of individuals who were going to come looking for unemployment benefits, which they needed. Um, and they, they were not prepared technologically to handle it. So it wasn't just the matter they weren't prepared to hand out the money. It's the fact that they didn't have the technology and the processes. And in many cases, you had states actually roll back their process for good and valid reasons. They wanted to get money into the hands of people faster. But the end result of that was the bad guys could also get that money faster. And that's one thing that's going to continue into next year when people's tax forms start showing up. And <laughs> I and, agree that <laughs> yeah. you're getting into my next prediction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll stop right there. I'll stop right there because I'm going to, here's my first prediction. Cause you, you, you said, you know, some of this was, was, was bad news. I've got some good news, some good news in this prediction. And that is individual consumers, ordinary folk just don't have the risk that they did a few years ago of, some form of identity crime. And it's, and here's why it's because the bad guys have decided they can make more money attacking businesses than they can individuals. So an individual's information is less valuable to them today. Now that's mean it's not, it has, it's, it has no value because it actually does have value, but it's a very narrow slice of information now that the bad guys really want from consumers. And that's their login and their passwords. And that's, because those are used to not only get into personal accounts, they're getting used to get into business accounts. And that's where the real money is. And one of the things we found when we started looking for this trend I mentioned a minute ago of the, you know, we have fewer uh, uh, data breaches this year. 
uh, it's significantly down. Well, we started looking into, well, why is that? And if you go back about three years, you can see almost a, by calendar, you can see a shift in the tactics of the bad guys. They started shifting away from individuals and onto businesses, and they did it through ransomware, and they did it through phishing. Well, what do you need to commit ransomware and phishing attacks? You need logins and passwords. And once you have those, if you have ransomware, you can lock up a company's information and hold it, for, hold it hostage. You can steal it and then tell them you've stolen it. And if you don't give me money, you know, we'll release the information. Now we've seen the, the amount of money that a ransomware attack uh, yields to the bad guys go from about $10,000 in 2018 to, as of this quarter, an average across all size businesses, from small businesses to big ones, the average is $233,000. That's a huge increase over a relatively short period of time. And for big companies, that, that dollar value is now over a million dollars for one of these ransomware attacks. So if you're the bad guy, what would you rather do? Would you rather use an automated system using logins and passwords to go steal money and there's virtually no risk you're going to get caught? Or do you want to keep trying to do the ones and twos against consumers here and there and you might get a thousand here and a thousand there when you, you know, one good hit against a business and you're going to get a million dollars? That math works every day in the favor of the bad guys. That's bad for businesses, but it's good for consumers. And that means we're going to have to change the way we protect against attacks too. So uh, that means we're going to have to focus more on behaviors while we're all continue to focus on technology. Cause we've, we've really had, we've really had most of our focus on how do you prevent data breaches? How do you prevent cyber attacks for the last you know decades? It's all been around the technology. We need a new technology to stop it we've got to the point where we've locked down the technology about as much as we can lock it down. Now we have to focus on the behaviors that make it easy for bad guys to, to, to break into companies, to steal data, and then ultimately to steal money. Because at the end of the day, that's what they really want. They wouldn't be doing this if they weren't making money hand over fist. Well, and I agree with you a hundred percent. And the, to further give a, a shining ray of, hopeful light. Um, I think that that behavioral change, it's necessary all across the board. Um, you know, we have been trying to educate people about how they engage online. Um, and so it's not just in the, in the cybersecurity and the technology world, the, the, the technology is there. It's about how you use it. Um, and, and I think that is going to, uh, be something that, the public, both businesses, consumers, individuals, and, and even industry, you know, government folks like us are going to be looking at let's, how do we help with some of these long-term behavior changes? Because they're the next, you know, piece in this equation. Yep. Yep. Okay. I started to steal your thunder. So, okay. <laughs> crank, crank up, crank, crank up the lightning machine. And then, and then, and then here comes the thunder. <laughs> well, um, it's, it's scary thunder, though. It is actually really frightening because, you know, we've already talked about the, the massive financial economic impact um, that, that the scams and fraud have had this year. And unfortunately, I am predicting that the effects, the long-term impacts are going to reverberate not just throughout 2021, 
certainly into 2021, but I think we're going to have years. We this the long tail on this fraud is going to take years for us to unwind and get people whole. And I think there are going to be some people who are not going to be made whole. Um, you know, we've been talking about the unemployment identity theft issue, and that's a big one. But when you think about the fact that there are so many folks that very likely don't know, don't know yet that they have become victims. Um, that's right. They will find out. They're going to find out when they go to file their taxes. That is when it's going to happen because that income at the state level is going to be reported to the IRS. And you're going to have these folks that have gone to file their taxes and it may, it may go off without a hitch. We may see some, some massive increases in, in tax identity theft. We'll see. I, I think that kind of remains to be seen. But we're certainly going to see these people that are going to file, think everything is fine, and then get a notice that they failed to claim some income. And they are going to have to unwind that fraud. And that's a process. That's, that's going to be dealing with the IRS when they're, when they're very, very busy, when they're going to have this um, huge influx of people contacting them because of these issues. And then we also think it's going to affect Social Security. If folks who've been living on Social Security, suddenly that, now that income at the state level is being reported to the Social Security Administration, that can have a huge impact on their benefits. They could either be reduced or they could be just, you know, completely taken away because, oh, you made too much money on, on unemployment and you will have these people going, I never filed for that and I need this money to live on. I definitely see that we're going to get another huge gut punch in Q1 of next year. And that's just on this one issue. That's just, again, one subtype of one type. And when we look at that across the board, uh, I, I just... I think this is going to go on for a number a number of years before we com are completely able to unwind it. Yeah, and the thing about the, the the state taxes, which you make an excellent point, is you could actually be a victim in more than one state. Yes. <laughs> so yes. you could you could have been victimized multiple times, which means that 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 level of income reported to the IRS will be you know multiples uh, of higher value. So it could be a serious effort for a lot of people and, and people don't understand, they won't know it's happened and they won't know how to resolve it. And people already have, their, there's a fear factor. I mean, whenever you see that, uh, that uh, letter show up from the IRS, you got to go, Oh, what did I do wrong? You know, um, it's going, it's really going to unnerve people and they're, they're not going to know, you know what to do, but fortunately there are people who they can turn to for help. Exactly. And I do want people to be aware of that fact. There is this misconception, to your point, that, okay, my these identity credentials, they can only be used once at the federal level. They can be used multiple times across multiple states. This notion that all of the states interact with each other and talk with each other, that is not accurate. They don't. There are some groups where you have a few regions that do some smart data sharing, but it is not across the board. And so that that disconnect is going to create a lot of, of heartache for people. Um, and I'm sure we're going to hear some horror stories coming out next year. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's true. Okay, here's my last prediction. 
And this one's not a tough one. <laughs> I didn't I didn't have to reach real hard for this one. But um I think we're gonna see this this year and the and, and probably the following year a real convergence across the country at the state level of the laws and regulations that deal with privacy, cybersecurity, and identity. We've always had basically three different sets of laws uh, in the United States. And the rest of the world has, has taken more of a unified approach. And it really started in Europe, where you had one law that dealt with all of those things. So protecting your personal privacy, protecting uh, the storage of your data, uh, what data was collected, how it was collected, um, how it was protected. And then identity, just how do you create someone's identity? How is that d- identity managed? Who gets to see and use that identity? All those sorts of things. In Europe, they have one law that addresses all of those things. In the United States, it's 50 different sets of laws. So, you know, it's really more like 150, 200 different laws. But I think now what we're seeing, we saw it start a couple of years ago in New York and in California, and now it's accelerating. You're going to see more states take this up. And that is this idea that we do need one uniform law per state. We don't have a federal privacy law. We're probably not going to have a federal privacy law for a wide variety of reasons. So it's still going to be up to the states. And one of the things that you, you, you saw in this most recent election was in California, the voters approved a, a single law. It's called the California Privacy Rights Act, but it covers cybersecurity. It requires you to have an annual cybersecurity audit at your business to make sure that you're protecting people's data that you're collecting. It does deal with personal privacy, what data can be collected, how it can be used, et cetera, and, and, and how identities are managed, how they're verified, who can verify them. And it all comes down to there's there's a part of this new law that basically says that you shouldn't collect more information than you need and you shouldn't keep it for any longer than you need to. That's a fundamental shift, a massive fundamental shift in the United States at how we look at personal privacy and, and the things that come with it around cybersecurity and identity. So I think we're going to see an acceleration of that. And I think you're going to see more and more states take that up. Uh, with the support of the people who live in that state, much the same way they did here in California, where it was a, it was, it wasn't even close. Um, now that may not surprise a lot of people uh, that California had a didn't have a close vote on a privacy act, but you, you're also going to see support for this in places where you might not expect it in the Upper Midwest in Wisconsin, where they had a they had a law introduced last year that was interrupted by the pandemic, but they had a law last year that was even stronger than the California law. So uh, Virginia had a law that they, they attempted to pass before the legislative session got shut down for the by the pandemic. So I think this is really going to be, be a year of we're going to see some significant moves in privacy and cybersecurity that's going to change our daily lives ultimately, but it's certainly going to change how businesses um, handle personal privacy. Well, and, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I think what's interesting about the law that just passed in California is that it's almost a misnomer because it is the, the privacy act. (laughs) Um, but it is so much more and hopefully the public will start to recognize that these things, they all go hand in hand. Um, we've tried to keep them siloed for whatever reason. I don't know what the thinking was, uh, when we started doing this, uh, but you can't, they're all intertwined. And I, and I think that, 
we are finally, decision makers are finally starting to see that that's the case and, and bringing forward more of these much more like holistic, sort of the way we try to treat the issue, really coming at it from from all different angles and seeing everything on the spectrum and all the issues that feed into it. And we're seeing that, you know, lawmakers are starting to recognize that. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that that prediction is accurate. I think it is. You're a pretty smart guy. I think you got this one. Um, but I'm still going to, uh, you know, try to send it good vibes so that we can continue to see that movement and us moving in that direction. Everybody has to have one ringer and that's mine. <laughs> Um, any final thoughts? You know, I, I, I really want to try to end this on, um, a more positive note because there's a lot of, this is pretty, pretty bleak and there's a lot of that out there. And so one of the things that I was thinking about, cause I love to put a silver lining, even on the, you know, the worst situations. My kids always tease me about being a, a Pollyanna and looking for the good, I, I do think that out of all of this, this trauma and these terrible experiences, I am, I am hopeful that this will finally shine a bright, hot spotlight on the state of this type of crime and this, this problem in our country. It really does tend to take a backseat to other issues. And we tend to think of economic crimes, identity crimes, uh, nonviolent crimes, I would say, in general, is just not being that big of a deal. Oh, it's something that happened and you'll get over it. And I think because we will have this collective experience, so many people are going to have this experience for the first time that we will are going to build more of an understanding of how it does truly affect your life. And hopefully we will raise our voices and uh, share that information again with the people, the decision makers in our country and the people that are trying to tackle this issue so that we can stop pretending that it's just not that big of a deal and it's not a traumatic event. So that's my, my final thoughts and my sort of silver lining out of all of this bad that's going on. Maybe we can collectively come together and, and um, figure out how, how to stop it so that our future generations aren't faced with these issues. You know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So Eva, well, thank you for a very lively discussion. I'll make it. I'll make you a deal. We'll regroup right here, three hundred and sixty-five days from now, to see how good that crystal ball really was. I'll bring my tea leaves. You bring oh, your crystal ball. You got it. <laughs> and thanks to each of you for listening. You can learn how to protect yourself from identity fraud, crimes, and compromises by visiting our website at idtheftcenter.org where you can also read more about the latest data breach trends. If you think you are the victim of an identity crime or your identity has been compromised, you can call us, chat live online, send an email, or leave a voicemail for an expert advisor to get advice on how to respond. Just visit our website to get started. We hope you have a safe and healthy holiday season and the happiest of New Year's. <music>